Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. This week, we'll see if homemade Pop-Tarts rivaled the real deal and introduce a do-it-yourself power bar featuring one of the UK's favorite ingredients, passion fruit. Then pack your bags and your appetites because the globetrotting gourmet is heading to India. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, we've got quite an active presence over on Facebook, and we've got two different places to find Preheated on Facebook, and I wanted to make sure our listeners understand the difference between them. Yeah, great idea. So our business page is called the Preheated Baking Podcast, and that is where we post once a week with a link to the show and links to the authors and the recipe developers or the websites or the food blogs that we're talking about that week. Right. And so to be clear, Andrea, a business page is, for example, if I like Waitrose grocery stores, that is where I might be directed. It's kind of akin to liking or following a product or a business. Is that right? Absolutely correct. Okay. You are welcome as a visitor to post on our business page, but that is not the area where we get the most comments, posts, and pictures. If you want to be part of an active community, that is our Facebook group, and it is called the Preheated Podcast Baking Listeners. Okay. You want to look for that word, listeners. That's how you know you're in the right place. It is a closed group, which means you have to make a request to join. When you do that, you'll be asked the super secret question, which is cake or pie? (laughs) (laughs) What a hard question. I know. What a dilemma. There is no right answer. We do enjoy reading your responses. And once you've answered that question, we'll add you to that group. Mm -hmm. There's posts in that group almost every day, sometimes multiple times per day. And that is where people share their pictures of the weekly bake-alongs, their questions about the weekly bake-alongs, or other things that they're baking or questions that they have for other people. And it's a really active and fun group. Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of chatter there about the show, about what people are baking up, wanting recommendations, wanting tips, wanting recipes. So it's a lot of fun with people all over the world, actually. And just so you know, we love that you guys are sharing our group with your friends and family. But if you add other people to our group, we will not approve that request. We do require it to be an opt-in type of situation where an individual must make the request themselves and answer the cake or a pie question. So, Right. Yeah, absolutely. Nice, um, nice clarification there. All right. Thanks so much. We hope to see you guys over on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, we're also on Twitter and Instagram at PreheatedPod. Oh, and Andrea, don't forget our website where you can sign up for a newsletter, PreheatedPodcast.com. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, moving on to some baking and some holiday celebrations, Andrea, of course, a big weekend is coming up in the States, but you might not know it's also going to be a big three-day weekend in the UK. It's, of course, Memorial Day weekend in the States, but it's a bank holiday weekend in the UK. It's actually the second three-day weekend in May, and that's a cause for celebration as well. Well, yeah, May sounds like a fun month for you guys. Right. It's to um, offset the fact that I don't have Mother's Day. (laughs) 
Listeners, we know that a lot of you on these three-day weekends or on Memorial Day, you're going to potlucks, you're going to barbecues, and you might be curious about what type of dessert to bring. Yes, always. I mean, Andrea, we did an entire month of potlucks and picnics theme back in August of 2017. That was right after I moved to London, as a matter of fact. That's right. I looked that month up, and two of my favorite recipes for that month for a potluck were Ina Garten's Blueberry and Peach Crumbles and then the Easy No-Bake Indoor S'mores from Serious Eats. Oh, both so good. And all of those things kind of coming into season now, of course, s'mores, a seasonless recipe, really. You know, Andrea, if you are back on our webpage, you can search by month. So you can easily just go down to the side. There's a list that will appear and it will say August 2017. And then it will show you all those shows from that month. And another month that's coming right around the corner is June. And that's when we start to hear this phrase a lot, dads and grads. (laughs) You know me, I love alliteration, I love rhyming, I'm all over those kind of those kind of uh, titles. Since I know a lot of you will be celebrating Father's Day and graduation, we would love to hear your ideas for baking for those type of celebrations. Mm. We'll place a post in our Preheated Baking Podcast listeners group on Facebook and ask for you to share your recipes. Of course, you can always send us an email as well at host at preheatedpodcast.com. Andrea, any ideas what uh, the dads or grads in your life might be requesting? Well, dad is almost always going to involve peanut butter. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. It's going to be some sort of either peanut butter pie, peanut butter cookie, peanut butter ice cream. I saw a peanut butter cookie float by my Instagram feed the other day where the person who baked it had used a meat mallet to pound the pattern on top and I shouldn't say pound she probably just very delicately pressed it on top but I thought that was kind of a cute idea I think I might try that well that's just kind of one less step than having to do it both ways with the fork oh yeah you know just like one and done I like that (laughs) well my husband might be requesting some homemade ice cream it's definitely that time of year and we have lots of great ice creams We're also, spoiler, going to be doing some great ice creams coming up as well. So that might be one I do. I know that classic chocolate that we've done and the Rocky Road variation, he was a huge fan of those. Yeah, Father's Day is definitely an opportunity to give someone exactly what they want. Mm. The graduation parties that I've been to recently, what I think has been so much fun is the sugar cookies with the royal icing in the colors of either the school that the kid is graduating from or the school that they're headed off to. And those, you know, those look really cute. Oh, yeah. Well, I do have a grad coming to stay with us uh, in June. My niece, Sarah, is graduating from college. And you know what she loves, Andrea, is that moist chocolate bunt cake. I've made it for her a few times, and that may be what we celebrate in June with her. That's a great cake. Oh, yeah, how fun. That's a good one. And I love a bunt cake. They're just uh, impressive yet easy. So I think that's a a great choice, especially this time of year when you've got so much else going on. Well, speaking of impressive and easy, let's see if our homemade Pop-Tarts fell into that category. We introduced these in last episode, episode 124. These were from the Pioneer Woman, and Reed Drummond is the Pioneer Woman, and these were from one of her collaborators, Summer Collier, and a post that she did on the Pioneer Woman website. These were calling on some ready ingredients you might have in your pantry or could easily do a quick 
run to the grocery for, including some refrigerated pie crusts, some fruit jam, cornstarch, an egg, a cup of powdered sugar, a little bit of cream, and then sprinkles or other toppings of your choice. Andrea, when we introduced this recipe, we both said that we were going to be experimenting with some pre-made pie crusts. Is that what you did? And how did these homemade Pop-Tarts turn out for you? I did use the pre-made pie crust. These homemade Pop-Tarts were a big hit in my household. Okay. I thought they were super easy. One thing I want to point out about the recipe, and I love it when recipe authors do this, is it says at the top, level easy. It's really nice. (laughs) It's really nice when they tell you ahead of time if something's going to be easy, medium, or hard, just to mentally prepare yourself. So thank you, Summer Collier, for including that information. Although fascinating psychological test to do with bakers to make a very difficult recipe, but label it easy and see what happened. (laughs) That just sounds mean. Yeah, a little bit. It also says that it serves six. I Mm -hmm. ended up with eight that were the normal Pop-Tart size. So that might have just been the pie crust that I used. I bought a package from Trader Joe's. I mentioned in last week's episode, this was my first time using store-bought refrigerated pie crust. And I have to say, it was pretty easy. And I thought it tasted just fine. And I think it comes down to the brand. I do think they are being made with different things. And so if that is a consideration, maybe you've tried one in the past you haven't loved, I would encourage you to do a little bit of shopping around. I've had that exact experience. I do like some more than others. For the fruit jam, I use that Bon Maman brand that I love so much, and I use the Four Berry Preserve, and that included raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, and strawberries. It was absolutely delicious, just, you know, straight out of the jar on a spoon. So I knew I would like it in the Pop-Tart. I did sift my powdered sugar for the frosting on top, so I just wanted to make sure I made a note of that because I'm not sure that was in the recipe. I did that too. Okay. You know, Andrea, you're like two for two with sifting the powdered sugar these days, I think. Yeah. You know, I've been having Mm -hmm. good results. So I... Yeah. (laughs) Makes a difference. Every time I hit the powdered sugar instruction and it doesn't say sift, I think to myself, well, how am I going to feel if I don't sift? And then I have all these lumps. I'm going to be mad at myself. You are. Yeah. This recipe came together really easily, really quickly. I would agree with her prep time of 15 minutes. I just rolled those refrigerated pie crust right out after sitting them on my counter for a little while. And then I cut them into the squares just as she directed. Although, like I said, I ended up with eight instead of six. And then spooned the jam on the inside of each one and then brushed a little egg to make some glue, folded them over. Yeah. I used a fork to crimp all of the edges together and that worked really well. And then it says to bake them for 15 to 18 minutes. I did check them at 15. I didn't think they were quite golden enough. So I baked mine the full 18 and that turned out really well. Okay, excellent. And I was about 16. So my fan oven does usually go a little bit faster. Mm, That makes sense. After they had cooled, I did take that sifted powder sugar, which was mixed with the jam and a little bit of heavy cream to create an icing glaze and just spooned it over the top. And instead of sprinkles, I used my sparkling sugar, which I thought was really pretty. You know, it says let the icing dry. I think we waited maybe, I don't know, a whopping five or ten minutes because these things smelled so good and they were warm. And both my daughter and my husband and myself had one while it was still warm and fresh out of the oven. And we just couldn't stop raving about it. 
You know, I really enjoyed making them as well, and I thought they were so pretty. I used a black currant jam, and that meant that I had a purple frosting because I used the same jam down in my frosting, and they were just, it just tickled me to be eating these purple frosted pies with, I used sprinkles. They were so cheerful and so friendly looking. I loved that. Oh, how fun. Yeah. Andrea, mine seemed really big as well, though. Okay. I got six, and then I got two additionals that were a little bit smaller. Not sure if I was supposed to have maybe sliced off some extra Mm -hmm. dough there that I didn't do that, or these were just bigger, I thought, than a standard Pop-Tart would be. Yeah, I wrote down that I got eight big ones, and I know I ended up throwing some dough away, too. Okay. I think it just depends on which pre-made pie crust you're buying. I do think they are in different dimensions. Good point. My husband, as he ate this, made the comment that this would be so fun to have at a dinner party, you know, especially like a fancy dinner party and then like dessert being, you know, Pop-Tarts he thought would be really cute. I did like that idea, but I know I'm not going to be, you know, whipping it together and pulling Pop-Tarts out of the oven in the middle of a dinner party. So I said, okay, well, let's try these tomorrow morning because that's when guests would be eating them after they'd cooled and they're not fresh, hot out of the oven. Okay, okay. So I have to say, on day two, eating them cold, they were okay. They were still better than boxed Pop-Tarts, but they were nowhere near as good as they had been the day before when they were fresh and warm out of the oven. Yeah. Did you at all try putting them in the in the toaster? I didn't. No. I didn't either. I thought about it, and I just thought it wasn't going to work out for me. So Yeah, I, I was worried that if that icing glaze started to melt it would kind of drip into my toaster and make a big mess so exactly and I probably could have popped them under the broiler for just a few minutes just to kind of rewarm them a little bit but I was actually interested in how they tasted cold because I thought you know if these things are amazing hot and equally as amazing cold then this is just a 10 star recipe as it was like I said I thought they were good cold but mm, not anywhere near as good as they were when they were hot out of the oven I think what these did for me, I don't think they scratched my Pop-Tart itch necessarily. They taste completely different than a Pop-Tart, you know, and I'm not ashamed to tell you that part of the appeal of the Pop-Tart is that kind of chemical oh. attraction, right? I mean, that's what <laughs> that's what's so great. And these taste like a really nice like pocket pie or hand pie. And it got me thinking how nice it would be to just do these with a nice pie filling as well. Oh, that's a great idea. And of course, you could use your own pie crust as well. I mean, you could take it any direction. Indeed. I also use the refrigerated crust here. In England, the brand I used was called Just Roll. And another thing to look at when you're buying that box, some crusts come two to a box and some just come one. So make sure you know, because in this recipe, you do need two. Oh, yeah. Mine came two to the box. So that's a good thing to point out. Right. Another suggestion I'd like to make, I didn't do this, but I saw a picture of it, is someone recently made this and did it as one big Pop-Tart. And that looked really cute and really fun. Yes! I think we could do a whole month of really big desserts. I think it's so funny. Oh, yeah. Like a, like a huge <laughs> Oreo, a huge Pop-Tart, a huge cookie. Huge cinnamon roll. Exactly. I know. Okay, put that one in the possibilities for the future. Make it big. Going on the list. Make it big. Yeah, so I liked these. Of course, I am the Pop-Tart kind of aficionado in my household. 
the rest of my family was polite about them, but <laughs> they weren't over the moon about it, I would say. However, I did give them to some neighbor friends, and they absolutely raved and really kept calling them a pie. Now, they're not American. They might not be as well-versed in what a Pop-Tart is, per se, but they really liked the jam pie. They kept calling it the jam pie, and that's what it is if you want to be absolutely technical about it. Yeah, it's so interesting when you try something and you enjoy it just for what it is versus comparing it to what you're expecting. I personally am not a Pop-Tart fan, so in a way, I kind of thought I wouldn't like this, but I did. Yeah, yeah. And then my daughter loves Pop-Tarts. She could live on them, so I was worried that she, like you, would be like, eh, these are okay, but they don't taste like I real Pop-Tart. Right. Yeah, but no, she raved about them. She thought they were fabulous. So who knows? You got to make them and try them and see what you think. And, you know, maybe just sit there with your little box of Pop-Tarts that you bought from the grocery store and do a side-by-side taste test. Yeah, or don't. I mean, these can exist very (laughs) happily in their own realm, you know, and that's completely fine too. One note, I had a technical note on the frosting. You had said you didn't wait very long to frost them, but when I did it too quickly, it melted off. So I note that I did wait a good 10 minutes for it to cool down out of the oven, and my frosting was really thick, and that may have come down to the jam that I chose, but I ended up just using clean fingers and spreading it that way after it had cooled down quite a bit. Okay. My frosting was thick as well, and I just used the back of the spoon. It wasn't the prettiest, but I decided, you know, that's more of the appeal of making something homemade is that people can look at it and know that, oh, that's not perfect, and that's because this person made it. Well, I have to end our review by sharing a Pop-Tart story from my past. Okay. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm ready. Years ago, my husband was buying a used car and we'd gone, we'd finalized all the paperwork and we'd gone to the gentleman's home to pick it up. And his wife, the man who was selling the car, was so thrilled to be getting rid of this car that she loaded up the trunk or boot, as we say here. She worked for Kellogg's, Andrea. You can see where this story is going. She loaded up the trunk of the car with demo Pop-Tarts. So these were Pop-Tarts. That had never been on the market before. They were being, you know, like taste testing and they were different Pop-Tarts shapes, I'm here to tell you. They were trialing those (gasps) and different flavors. And we lived on Pop-Tarts for, I don't know, six months. She just kept bringing them out of her kitchen and putting them into the trunk of the car. So we always say it was the best, best used car ever because we not only got the car, but we got a whole boot's worth of of Pop-Tarts. Wow. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine being on the list of test pop- Pop-Tart testers. Yeah, t- <laughs> Pop-Tart testers. I was thinking test Pop-Tart tasters. <laughs> I know, you know, now that I'm retelling that, I'm like, why didn't I just like slip her my phone right. number and say, call me. When this is gone, can I get more? <laughs> yes. Although it does make you wonder if you're getting a good deal when the Wife is so grateful that you're taking that car away. Well, he did love that car for many, many years. So it worked out for everyone. She got rid of some extra supplies, a car she didn't care for, and we were happy too. So, (laughs) Well, another great entry in our Made It Myself month. Up next week, we are making Martha Collinson's Mango and Passion Fruit Energy Bars. This was published on the Waitrose website. Of course, Waitrose being one of Stefan's favorite grocery stores in London and one of my adopted favorite grocery stores in London. (laughs) Stefan, who is Martha Collinson? Martha was a contestant in season four, I believe, of the Great British Bake Off, and she got to the semifinals. She was at the time, I believe, the youngest contestant. I think she was only like 17 
when she competed. She was very, very young, really a fan favorite. And she has gone on to parlay that into great success with cookbooks and writing columns for various papers. And I think she's on the Waitrose payroll as well. She does a lot of recipes for them. So when we saw this one, um, yeah, her name jumped out definitely. But so too did that passion fruit, which you guys know is such a huge flavor here. Well, and I have some questions about the ingredients. So if you don't mind, I just need to run down it and ask a few things. Let's go. Okay, flaked almonds, I know what that is. Desiccated coconut, that's dried. Coconut flakes, unsweetened, I'm assuming. You got it, and that's the important part. Not the sweetened kind of clumpy coconut that's really prevalent in the U.S. Okay. The essential Waitrose rice pops, of course. (laughs) That's a little product placement there, but I'm guessing I can use, speaking of Kellogg's, good old Rice Krispies, right? That's exactly what they are. Yes. Okay. Oats. I was planning on using the old-fashioned rolled oats. I might use quick cooking there because it doesn't specify, but if what you've got is rolled, go for it. Okay. Dried mango. I've got that. Brown sugar. I've got that. Clear honey. What do they mean by clear honey? So I think this is sold in the U.S. as well, but here they will have something called a cloudy honey, and it looks kind of white, almost like the honeycomb is somehow mixed in. I don't Mm. know. It's a different kind of processing. And so you do want to use your very amber-colored clear. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good to know. The one large passion fruit, loyal listeners know that I have struggled to find fresh passion fruit here in Olympia, Washington. When I was in London and we recorded our grocery store escapades back in episode 118, I bought some passion fruit powder. Yeah. The one that I bought came from a company called Fresh As. I've looked on Amazon, and you can buy it from other companies as well. It does look like it's an ingredient that bakers use to flavor creme brulees and puddings and smoothies and all sorts of things. So I think I might be using that passion fruit powder In the meantime, though, I had noticed someone posting in another group that I belong to. They have found a Goya brand puree of passion fruit in the freezer section of their grocery store. So, oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's something I'm going to be looking for. I think the original post said that she found it in her local kind of Mexican grocery store, yeah. but I'm I'm going to look for it just in my regular grocery store because that Goya brand is very popular. Right. Yeah. Oh, how exciting. That's kind of one step closer to a fresh passion fruit for you, Andrea. <laughs> I know. I'm very excited. Okay, then last two ingredients, white chocolate. I know what that is. And then the last ingredient, natural yogurt. What is natural yogurt? I take that to mean unsweetened. Okay, so my plain Greek yogurt, you think I'll be okay with that? That's what I'm going to use. Yeah, I've always got that in the fridge because I eat it for breakfast, so that's what I'm going to use. All right, well, that's all my questions. And just a note here, too, I think this is relatively easy to make vegan. In fact, I'm planning to do that because I've got a potluck club coming up, as you guys know. I'm part of a great group of women who get together with a potluck, and there's several vegan people involved in that. For the honey, of course, vegans would not eat honey. I might substitute Lyle's Golden Syrup. Okay. And then the white chocolate, you can get a vegan chocolate. I'm going to see if I can find that easily. If not, I might just leave off the drizzle. We'll see how it goes at the end there. Yeah, especially since it's just at the t- on the top at the end. Yeah. So we are looking forward to Martha Collison's Mango and Passion Fruit Energy Bars, our DIY made-it-myself energy bars. And remember, we will have a link to both of the recipes we've talked about today. That was the Passion Fruit Bars from... Waitrose. This will be on our website, 
preheatedpodcast.com, as well as the recipe for the homemade Pop-Tarts from the Pioneer Woman, also on our website. And you can find both of those on our listener Facebook group, Preheated Baking Podcast Listeners. You got it. Fantastic. Listeners, it's time for another Globetrotting Gourmet segment, and this may be our most far-flung yet. Stefan, you and your family traveled all the way to India. That seems so far away from me here on the west coast of the U.S., where it's almost a 20-hour trip, including some transfers. But how far was it actually from London? Well, from London, it's about a nine-hour flight, so it's definitely still long, but manageable. And our travel criteria is that if a destination is easier to get to from London than from Seattle, it rises to the top of our list. Yeah, that's making the most of your location, so that definitely makes sense. My family and I are big fans of Indian cooking, and I cook Indian quite frequently. So I'm dying to know what you ate and what you saw. Fill us in. Well, first, let's get ourselves geographically oriented. We were in northern India, and it's an important distinction in a country that's the world's second largest in terms of population and seventh largest in terms of area. So just like you wouldn't say visit Idaho and hope to find foods of the deep south in the U.S. Exactly. So we were in northern India, and most of the famous foods are probably pretty familiar to eaters. To put it in very simplistic terms, northern cuisine is heavy on the bread and the curries. Yum. So much of what you might eat in an Indian restaurant outside of India is probably food from the north. So naan, aloo gobi, butter chicken. Much of the food is vegetarian as the majority of the population are Hindu and don't eat meat, although it's not strictly taboo. Okay, I'm oriented. So tell me, what was delicious? Well, pretty much everything and everywhere. We had fantastic food at restaurants, hotels, and even a roadside truck stop, for lack of a better word, <laughs> where I first had what turned out to be my favorite dish of the entire trip, a regional specialty called chole batura, which is a puffy fried bread served with chana masala or spicy chickpeas. Oh, chana masala is one of my favorite meatless Monday recipes. Were you eating this for dinner or for lunch? It's actually eaten at breakfast and as a snack. The puffy bread really varied in size depending on where I ate them, with some being the size of a small salad plate and others being more oval in shape and the size of a small platter. They were a little crispy, a little chewy, and just perfect with those spicy chickpeas. I couldn't get enough. Any other regional specialties you particularly enjoyed? Yes. We stayed two days near Rathambore National Park, which is in the state of Rajasthan, and that is home to the famous Bengal tigers. In fact, we went on two safaris, and though we didn't end up seeing any of those magnificent cats, we did eat a specialty called bati. It's a small unleavened bread that's either filled or served with lentils and chutney. To keep them soft, they're dipped in ghee right before serving. Our tour guide, Banu, was Rajasthani, and he showed us how his family eats it. You break apart the bread and crumble it on your plate, then add the lentils and chutney on top. Okay, so that's your second favorite dish that started with bread as the base. I'm <laughs> noticing a theme here. <laughs> and this is the perfect time for me to ask about a bread that was central in a book I just finished. It was called A Fine Balance by Rohinton Mystery. And the bread was called chapatis. Mm. So from my reading, they seemed like they were a soft dough shaped like a tortilla. Any chance you ran across those? Yes. I mean, there were so many variations on this theme of flatbread, naan, chapatis, roti. 
And at one meal, we ate a Southern Indian specialty. Now, bread is not as much of the diet in the south of India, but they are known for their crepe-like pancakes stuffed with fillings known as dosa. And that pancake uses a fermented dough made of rice and lentil or chickpea flour. I love all of the variations. Any other local favorites? We ate another of our tour guide's favorites one night, and he called it Rathambore pudding. The waiter actually gave me the recipe. Are you ready? Ooh, ready. Take some butter and melt it in a saucepan. Add some dry semolina, then sugar, then water. Add dried roots and coconut. Boil slowly till thick. Dried roots? What is that? I know. It's taro root. Oh, yeah. So taro is a tuber similar to a potato. And in this case, I believe it helped that pudding thicken. So it's a little like a thick cornmeal mush or a polenta? Yes, but with that bit of tropical hit from the coconut. Now, in general, desserts just weren't a huge part of our meals. But one we ate more than once was a little like a small donut. And it was called a basin ladu. This is made of chickpea or graham flour, sugar and ghee, then dipped in a sugar syrup. And you find variations that include nuts, grains, seeds, oats, cardamom, you name it. And many families will have their own variation. So it sounds like people might not eat a sweet every night or even every week. Are they more of a celebratory food? I think that was our experience. Even when we were offered dessert, it was a very small bite, just to finish off the meal. Like you might have a small chocolate with a cup of espresso. I asked our tour guide about a village baker or a sweet shop, and he told me there is a saying that a village is not complete without a baker, so you usually will find a commercial venture wherever you are. That said, in the case of a large celebration, many people will still call up a friend or a relative to make sweets for their gathering. Oh, interesting. It sounds like we would be getting a call if we lived in India. (laughs) (laughs) You sent me this one amazing photo, and it was a cooking demonstration that you watched, and I believe Mm -hmm. the woman was cooking over an open fire. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so one of the reasons we chose the tour we did was because it offered a cooking demonstration in a small rural village. Now, many people in the village prepare their food and cook outdoors over an open fire. And although the Indian government has mounted a campaign to have all homes furnished with CNG, that's compressed natural gas, many cooks, including the woman who invited us into her home, prefer to cook with that traditional wood fire. She thinks it provides superior flavor. I suppose it's a little bit like the debate between charcoal and gas grill enthusiasts. Oh, right. And I noticed from your picture that she was doing the demo right next to the fire. Was she on a low stool or on a seat? Nope. She crouched there the entire time she made the snack for us. She had amazing stamina. And what she cooked was so tasty, Andrea. It was called a small pieces curry. So she started with a chickpea flour and added cumin, fennel, and salt. She combined that mixture with soya oil to make a dough, then rolled it into thin ropes and put the ropes in boiling water. After about five minutes, she removed them and cut them into small pieces. The nearest comparison I can give you is probably gnocchi. Oh, one of my favorite foods. Got it. Next, she made a savory sauce with garlic and onion and fried the dumplings and sauce in a quantity of oil. And while that was bubbling away, she made a flatbread with millet flour. Oh, millet. Is wheat flour not used? Not as much. Wheat is not grown or easily accessible in northern India. So you'll see breads made with lentil, chickpea, or in this case, millet flour. And those are all higher protein flours too. So she made a simple dough of millet flour, salt, and water and shaped the dough into flatbreads, which she cooked over a flat skillet on the fire a few minutes each side. 
Finally, she toasted each side of the bread right in front of the open flame, which made them puff up, at which point she threw them on a towel and covered them with ghee. Oh, okay. My mouth is watering, but I am having a hard time imagining how she put all of this together. You've got a deep-fried dumpling in a savory onion sauce and a millet flatbread. But that's not all. Oh, On the serving platter, she also put chunks of jaggery. Oh, I know what that is. Uh, back when we discussed alternative sugars in episode 116, mm -hmm. it's a concentrated cane sugar that looks a little bit like brown sugar cubes. That's right. And it has a really rich molasses flavor. Mm, so tasty. Okay, so now you've got a deep fried dumpling in a savory <laughs> onion sauce, a millet flatbread, and jaggery? Yep. And this is what we did. We took a piece of flatbread, spooned on some of the dumpling and onion sauce, and crumbled a bit of jaggery on top. It was savory, buttery, sweet, and toasty. I think that hits all the essential snack criteria. Oh, I'll say. Well, I love that you guys were able to eat so many new things and share your experiences with us in a part of the world that is so different from our own. Mira Subhaga, my pleasure. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and next week we'll round out Made It Myself Month with not one but two takes on homemade Oreos. And speaking of chocolate, I'll talk with the founder of London's Chocolate Ecstasy Tours, Jennifer Earle. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our podcast. I'd love to share one of our latest reviews. It came from Shay3987, and they said, Best Baking Podcast. I recently discovered Preheated, and I've been binge listening since I found it. This is, by far, the best baking podcast out there. There's no pretense to these two women, and they share their baking triumphs and tragedies with humor and humility. Oh. It's a pleasure to listen to each episode, and I've been inspired to embark on several new adventures in the kitchen as a result. I appreciate their mission to cultivate a sense of community through baking. Oh, I love it. Thank you, Shay3987. Yeah, that was a great one. Thanks so much. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. That they have found passion fruit. They have found passion fruit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
They have found passion fruit. <laughs> Jeez Louise. I, I need to say passion fruit puree. I need to say that. Okay. They have found passion fruit. <laughs> I can't say it. 